0: Welcome to the Time Out Bulls podcast driven by Lexus. Visit a Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the full lineup of all-wheel drive vehicles. Our guest today on Time Out Bulls is Jamal Crawford, one of my favorite people who just happens to be a basketball player. Jamal Crawford and I share a lot of things in common, including the fact we're from the 206, Seattle, Washington. The first time I heard of Jamal Crawford, was early in my NBA broadcasting career, I'm doing the Raptor games, and Doug Christie, also from Seattle, he and I are having a conversation about a young man who is entering the University of Michigan from Seattle. And he said, Chuck, I gotta tell you, this guy, Jamal Crawford, is gonna be a player, a great player at the collegiate level and at the NBA level. So I said, okay, because you hear a lot of stories, this guy's gonna be great, this, that. Well, sure enough, Jamal Crawford, is drafted, actually traded on draft night by the Cavaliers to the Bulls. And people who are still with the Bulls organization speak very highly of Jamal Crawford. And everyone who comes across Jamal Crawford always comes away with the fact he's polite, he's professional, and he gets it. Now on the court, his record speaks for itself. And in fact, I've said many times they should rename the Sixth Man Award winner instead of Sixth Man Award to the Jamal Crawford Award he has left an indelible mark as far as reserves coming off the bench in the modern era of the NBA. So let's pick up our conversation with Jamal Crawford of the L.A. Clippers. So, Jamal, the uh, Sonics have uh, no longer been in Seattle for, what, seven, eight years or so. Do you ever catch yourself when you're reading the morning newspaper or going online looking at the standings, especially in your division, and saying, wait a minute, where's Seattle?
1: (laughs) All the time. It's, it's, it's unbelievable to know that, you know, our fans are so wonderful up there. If you look at the Seahawks, you look at the Mariners, you look at the Sounders, and let's not have a team, you know. And, and Vancouver had a great team as well that turned into the Memphis Grizzlies, and obviously Seattle turned into the OKC Thunder. But, you know, growing up, seeing that, seeing Gary Payton and Sean Camp and Left Strength and all those guys, you know, it kind of helped make my dreams a reality. So, you know, for me, I just wish a team was there, and I have no doubt that one day a team will get back there.
0: All right, let's talk about that for a moment. Growing up in Seattle, as I did, and we have a lot in common with Seattle and University of Michigan, and then, of course, in the NBA. But as a Sonic fan, who are some of the players that you kind of idolized or followed?
1: Oh, Gary Payton, uh, definitely. Yeah, Sean Kemp, uh, Deadlift Shrimp. I remember Rashard Lewis. I liked him a lot just from the standpoint that he was really young, making that kind of leap. You know, and I only went to college for a year, so I was a young guy making that leap, so we struck up a friendship. Obviously, over the years, when I, even when I was in the NBA, Ray Allen was really good for the team, Brett Berry. Um, you know, so many guys, and going back even further, that, you get the, the Lenny Wilkins, the downtown Freddie Browns, the Jack Sickness, guys like that. You know, I've always been a Science fan. Growing up in Seattle, I try to support all the sports. But the Sonics especially, you know, since me playing basketball, uh, you know, I was attracted to those guys and things they were doing. I remember Dana Barrels. I remember I was at the game one night when Dale Ellis hit nine three-pointer. So, yeah, a lot of good memories.
0: All right, do you remember your first game as a fan? I presume it was in Seattle. But do you remember the first time you walked into an NBA arena and saw NBA players?
1: Yes, I do remember. It was in Seattle, obviously. And uh, I think one of those first games was Dale Ellis get made, I think, eight or nine three pointers. I remember because he came back out on the court and did an interview. You know, and he had ice on his knees at the time afterwards. I'm like, oh that you know, that must be cold. He's freezing right now. But I just remember, you know, the guy having ice on. He's doing an interview in front of the whole crowd after the game and he hit nine three pointers that night. So it was a special night.
0: You know, Jamal, you're so good with the fans and uh you know, you reach out to as many as you possibly can. And I'm wondering as a kid growing up in Seattle, did were you were you the type of kid that uh, went for autographs, looked for them, or tried to seek them out, or did you kind of stay away from afar and just you know marvel at their talents?
1: No, I, I tried to get as many autographs as possible. I really did, and it's weird. Even uh, from Seattle and L.A., when I was living out here as a kid as well, I remember sneaking in the games and, and seeing all the guys, and I remember guys that were really, really nice, and I remember guys who weren't so nice, and those memories stuck with me forever. So when I was a kid, I said, if I'm ever in... In that position i'm going to be as nice as possible to every single person you know and especially kids because i remember being that kid i remember you know having those dreams and those moments last a lifetime
0: well you talked about uh, the passion for the city and before we talk about the uh, years you spent here in chicago just a couple of side notes folks it's an honor in seattle to raise the 12th flag as you know the seattle seahawks have an incredible fan base With the stadium they play in, the noise factor is crazy. And early in the season, uh, the Seahawks extended an invitation to Jamal Crawford, one of Seattle's very own, to raise that flag. What was that experience like?
1: It was incredible. It really was. I watched a few of them um, online just to see the reaction, how they set it up and everything, and actually get that invite. Of my, one of my close friends, like at Jamal, you need to do this. You've been saying it for at least three or four years, and then they finally reached out and, and really wanted me to do it. And now i was beyond honored to be up there in front of 70,000 people, getting them riled up, getting them fired up. Uh, it, it's it's incredible. It's hard to even describe, you know. And, and to know that you know that's one of the top things you could do in Seattle, you know, personally is to, to help raise that flag and you represent your community, you're representing the fans there, and representing. Everything that's good about Seattle, you know, and I was just really, really honored to
0: be up there. Well, you know what, Jamal, uh, wherever you stopped, uh, and when I talk to media people, they always say great things about you, which is a, a tremendous legacy. You've been in the league a long, long time. You you still have a lot of tread left on the tires, and so let's talk about your stay here in Chicago. Uh, you're traded on draft night from Cleveland to the Bulls for Chris Mem. And uh, you arrive in Chicago. Give me an idea who Jamal Crawford was at that point in your life when you arrived as a rookie. I
1: was, I was someone who was just trying to really, you know, establish myself. Like, this was a lifelong dream. You know, you've been dreaming about this ever since you were a kid, like we just talked about. And even younger than that, ever since I picked up a basketball and played on a team, you've always wanted to play in the NBA. So to get that opportunity on a team I watched probably more than any team, even though I'm from Seattle, the bulls my favorite team growing up just off of michael jordan alone is my favorite player ever you know so it's like oh my gosh you know the history you know the john paxton's and the bj Armstrongs and the, and the bill waynton's and luke longley's and tony coaches and scotty Pippins and all these guys just from being such a jordan fan and a bulls fan you know so now you see all these guys and you walk into the same locker rooms they walk through and, and talking to jerry krause's and, and meeting jerry lions and guys like that and those were, I knew the history, like, inside and out, you know, so to be able to go there was such a dream. Like, that was my favorite team growing up, and have the opportunity to play there. You know, I remember the draft process. I went to, like, five or six teams to either talk to or work out for, and I was there for three days, and it just felt like home even then. And the day I had, I got drafted, I actually had pictures of it. At the draft, I had on Bulls, my Bulls workout gear all day, like, everything. And I had no idea they were going to take me. I knew it was a chance, but it was just like, you know, it just felt right. So to go there... I felt like each year got better and better, and I was able to kind of grow from a boy to a man there. You know, I really had some things to learn about the pro game and being a professional, and I kind of took those lumps early on. That was my first year, but by the time I left, I felt like I was really entering manhood, and I learned so much in my four years there.
0: Yeah, I'm going to digress for a moment. I want to get back to your rookie year, but you mentioned the history of the Bulls, and certainly you just, you know— were amazing describing some of the players that uh, have been here and that have passed through, uh, along with our course, the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf. One thing you are, and I want to explain this to our listeners, a lot of players don't know who they're playing the next game. They're just focused on one game. They have no idea what the schedule is in front of them. They have no idea of the history of the sport. Jamal Crawford gets it. Jamal, where did you develop the passion for the history of the NBA? Because I remember watching you on national TV. You recited, without any stoppage and hesitancy, every coach you played for in the NBA. And it was amazing. I mean, it was just boom, 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 boom. But also, you know the league. And I'm wondering, that that just doesn't happen to every player. Where did that start? Where did that that DNA come from?
1: Well, i just always been fascinated. You know, I've loved basketball before I loved anything else ever in my life. You know, it's me and my basketball. And I used to collect cards. You know, I used to always collect trading cards. And I would read the front, the back, and where guys went to school, what number they wore. I just knew so much about the game and the history of the game. I always respected the people that had come before me. You know, and even when I wasn't in the position to be in the NBA, I just respected the people who played basketball before me. You know, so I, I've pretty much known just about – Every single person, you know, that, that has come through the NBA, you know, I've either watched film or looked them up or I've just always been, you know, uh, someone who was so intrigued by that. And I've always paid homage to the guys who've come before me, you know, and just, it's just been an unbelievable experience to be able to, to to be that involved and that in love with something for so long. And I love it to this day, even more than I did before when I was a kid. So, yeah, the history part of it's always been here and I've just always really, really been in tune and pay attention to that.
0: So on back-to-backs, let's say the Clippers are playing and you're leaving uh, from Los Angeles or you're on a road trip and you're getting on your charter flight right after a game and the uh, media relations people are passing out, out-of-town box scores. Do you take them and read them on the plane?
1: Oh, for sure. If I don't already have all the, the stats from after the game, getting on the phone, getting on my iPad, and things of that nature, because I'm yeah. such a fan of the game, I'm always watching. I'm always looking to see what's going on. I'm always watching other teams there's probably not a player you couldn't ask me about and I couldn't tell you about his game. You know, random, you could ask about anybody, not just the superstars, but just about everybody because I'm always watching, you know, what's going around the league and what's going on and just in the basketball world. So, yeah, yeah, those sheets I usually am already, I've usually beat them before they've actually reached me on the plane.
0: I, I, I probably can attest to that. I think you're you're 100% accurate. So, let's get back to your rookie year. Were you, uh, you played 61 games, you started eight. Um... Were you overmatched physically? Were you struggling just to make the adjustment? I mean, here you are, what, 19 years young, 18, whatever. Uh, What was the pro game like for you after playing a half season at Michigan? What was the pro game like, and what adjustments did you face when you stepped on the floor as a professional ball player?
1: I was definitely overmatched. I came into the league weighing 175 pounds. I was talented so I had some moments here and there but I just didn't get it I didn't get the pro game everything seemed so fast to me you know I remember when I was bringing the ball down court I was a point guard at the time I would always look to the side at Tim Floyd like okay will you want me to run this time down I was trying to do everything perfect and you know looking to the side imagine that like a guard looking to the side every single time he got the ball from a play call you know and now you think about like oh man you got to play off instinct you have to kind of think the game, no situations. I was looking every single time to try to make sure I was doing everything okay. I was just, I wasn't ready. You know, I had to learn to be a pro on and off the court. I really did. I think um, that was the main thing, the maturity. Because even if you're talented enough to play in the NBA, you know, and, and say even, not even a rotational guy, just a guy that can make an NBA roster, there's so much more that goes into it, preparing, knowing that, you know, a practice at 10 o'clock as a rookie you should be there at 8 o'clock. You know, you should be there two hours before anybody else gets there. You should be the last one to leave. All those different things were things I learned about being a professional, you know, and, and towards the end of that rookie year, I had a few good games in a row and the game started to slow down. Like, okay, I'm starting to get it. I'm really starting to get it, not just on the court but off the court. And then the, going into the second year, I, I really started getting good. I was working out with Michael Jordan. My game really felt like it was going to another level, and then I tear my ACL going into my second year. So, yeah, those things. Those first two years, especially, were really, really difficult, but for different reasons.
0: You know, Jamal, the the Bulls were going through uh, a period of change when you joined the ball club as a rookie, obviously, and and I'm wondering, what was that experience like facing, you know, every game was a challenge, whether you're going to win or lose, uh, probably losing, Um, and also, who helped you get through that period of time with the Bulls your rookie year?
1: Well, you know, Pete Myers was instrumental. DJ Armstrong, they were instrumental. They really were because they were still, you know, with the organization and helping. And it was was so tough from the standpoint of, think about it, just two years before, they won their last championship. You know, so the residue of Michael Jordan and the 3P team and all those great players were still in the air. And our games were still sold out. You know, we were the youngest team in the league, I think, my first two years there. And our games were still sold out every single night. So we were spoiled in that sense because we didn't really deserve that. But Chicago is such a great sports town that once they support you, they're going to ride with you all the way. You know, so they were there every single night supporting us. And, you know, we were just a young team trying to find our way. And we had so many young players the first two years. And we were all trying to establish ourselves and not a lot of veterans to actually uh, show us the way. Fred Hoiberg actually was one of the veterans, and he was really good. He was an alternate professional at the time, but he was one of the few, if you look at that roster, he was one of the few original kind of veterans for us because we were such a young group.
0: Mm. Well, you had a breakout season. You started scoring in double figures your third year. Your second year, you were hurt. But your fourth year, you really put it together. You had 17 per game, including a ball game I did when I was doing the play-by-play for the Raptors in yeah, Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you lit up the Raptors, and you scored the first of your – 3 uh, three fifty 50-point games. I mean, it was amazing uh, at the Air Canada Center. What, what's what's it like? I, I did the play-by-play when Kobe had 81 against the Raptors in L.A., and that was an incredible, incredible ball game. But what's it like to score 50 points? You've done it three times. Uh, what What's it like to score 50 points in an NBA game?
1: Well, first off, when that happens, it's, it's almost the perfect storm. You know what I mean? The coaches caught up great plays, your teammates are passing you the ball in the sweet spot. They're setting screens. They're looking for you. So it's never just about you. But once you get it, it feels like everything is going in. You know, it feels like you don't have to be on balance. Uh, your shoulders don't necessarily have to be squared every time. You're just looking for space. And once you find that space, the ball's already went in. You see it. It can't get out your hands fast enough. You know, and it's a it's a wonderful thing to be in that, that mode and that zone, you know, because a lot of people have played basketball. I've never really gotten – you know, quite to that zone, so it's an amazing feeling, and it feels like sometimes you can kick it up there and have a chance to go in. You know, it's an amazing, amazing thing, but it's definitely something that everybody takes in. You know, it's it's everybody. It's a total team effort. It's a total team uh, collective kind of thing, and it's unbelievable. It really is. It's a lot of fun, too.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Time Out Bulls podcast driven by Lexus. The Bulls aren't the only ones with a long season. We all know the Chicago winter can be long and challenging as well. But with 22 all-wheel drive models by Lexus, you don't have to be stuck inside. Visit your Chicago area and northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to test drive today. Lexus all-wheel drive, your antidote for cabin fever. Well, I, 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 you know this, of course, but you're only four players have done it in the history of the NBA. Think about this, Jamal, in the history of the entire league, going back way back to the '40s and '50s. So you're looking at Wilt Chamberlain, Bernard King, Moses Malone, and Jamal Crawford. That's pretty impressive.
1: That is unbelievable. And the last time I did it, it was I was in Golden State, and I was actually walking to the bus, and the PR guy. Uh, Raymond from the the Golden State Warriors told me the company, and I was just floored. I couldn't believe it. You know, because when you're playing, you're caught up in the moment. You're just playing to try to win the game, and you know, just just keep moving on, like you said, to the next thing, in the next city, and not get stagnant. But when you look back, like those are those people are three Hall of Famers. That's a, they're incredible. Those are some of the best players to ever play basketball. And to be in that that sentence with them for anything that's positive is is an unbelievable feat.
0: So, Jamal, when did your game change, and who came to you because you've won the Sixth Man Award three times? In fact, I've said this on the air, and I'm not patronizing you whatsoever, but I think when it's all said and done, hopefully the league will change this award to the Jamal Crawford Award. And I'm saying that sincerely because it's not easy to win any award, period, but to win it three times in a specific award, I think, merits consideration to change this Uh, somewhere down the road in in your name, who came to you and said, Jamal, you know what? Uh, I want to start using you off the bench. I think we can use you. And then you flourished. Was that a tough conversation to have with a coach or did you embrace it?
1: I really embraced it. And just to go back a little bit, my my game had to change a couple of different times because, because I came into the league, like I said, I came in as a point guard, but then by the end of my Chicago tenure, they're like, you know what? You could score really well for us. We're going to kind of bring Kirk Heinrich along as the point guard and Jason Williams when he was there before. So we're going to move you off the ball. So that that was a transformation of going from point guard to guard, uh, basically my last year in Chicago. And then to the bench, I I, I got tired, Chuck, of, of being known as a, a really good player on bad teams. you know. And so I got to, once you get in the league for a while, it doesn't matter if it's situational or different things, you have to look in the mirror. you know. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going on my ninth, tenth year, I've never been in the playoffs. I've averaged a lot of points over the years. I don't care. I'll go to a bench uh, role if that's what it takes on, on a good team as well to give myself the best chance to get to the playoffs and beyond. So I got traded to the Atlanta Hawks, and I talked to the GM at the time. as Rick Rick's son, and he lives in Seattle, so he came over to my house, and he's was like, you know what? You may not start it. You may come off the bench. And you got to remember, I've never come off the bench before in my life consistently like that, so. I'm like, you know what? I'm fine with that. Like, I'm secure enough of myself, and I really just want to win. So if I have to take a step back and not start the game for us, I have a better chance to win. I'm all for it. And I went to the Atlanta Hawks, and they had Joe Johnson, they had Mike Bibby, they had Marvin Williams, they had Josh Smith, they had Al Horford. So they had a group that had been together, starting together for a while, a couple of years now. So I said, no problem. You know what I mean? Uh, I knew I was going to be a sixth man going into that year, so what I would do in the summer when I play. The first game, you know, I'm usually always on, but I said, you know what, I'll wait. I'll wait for the second game to get on just so I can get used to, to coming off or not starting when the game starts and when we start playing. So from there, uh, I talked to Mike Woodson when I got to Atlanta. He's like, you know what, you're not going to start, but your role is going to be just as important. I need you to come off the bench and be that score, be that dynamic score. And fast forward, we won 53 games. I ended up being second-league scorer. I think I was like 18 that year. And I was six man of year. And and then from there, I was like, oh, I see the importance of it. You know, I see why Genova was so important with the Spurs or why Jason Terry was so important with Dallas or why James Harden was so important in OKC. You know, it doesn't lessen your home. It just strengthens your team. It gives you great balance. So from that, I was bought all the way in. And, and now my career has took on a different, you know, trajectory just by doing that.
0: All right, so, so if you uh, could recommend – as far as the role of a player coming off the bench in certain cases there are role players and you're not a role player you're an impact player and there's a big difference but what recommendation would you give a player who's going through a transition either because of talent because you know father time waits for no man or perhaps his Position on a ball club. Maybe they're playing a different style and the coach needs to use them. But what recommendation would you give a player in this league whose coach goes to you and says, Listen, I know you've started or I know you've done X, Y, and Z, but I need you to do A, B, and C? Well,
1: I would tell them that you have to truly commit and give yourself to the team. I think once you do that, that's when the egos check at the door. You know, it's all about the team and what's best for the team. I think for different guys like you said different situations arise but i think you know if you have somebody who can average 20 points come off your bench or you have somebody who can average you know 10 12 rebounds come off your bench or you have somebody who you know get a couple blocks and a couple steals a game or that energy whatever it might be and how your coach sees fit i think you have to truly buy into that if you commit to that and and buy into that your teammates will respect it uh, i think you you'll feel even more rewarded because you had to step out your comfort zone of actually starting. You know, some guys can only play starting the game. I'm like, you know what? Any situation, I'll be able to come through because I pride myself on being a true professional. Whether it's starting, whether it's come off the bench, whether it's playing point, whether it's playing shooting guard, whatever it might be, I feel like I can adapt to any situation and that's part of being a professional, you know? And I think if you truly commit yourself and sell yourself out for the team, then it's an easy thing to do.
0: You know, Jamal, we, we often use the word chemistry in sports. And your your first you know few years in the league, of course, with Chicago, and you had a lot of young players. It was, you know, coaches were changing and whatnot. How do you know as a ball player, especially when you were a very young player here in Chicago, this club has chemistry, or boy, you know what, this is going to be tough in this locker room. And I guess you could say it for any team you played with, but is chemistry, can it develop over time, or do you know right away this team has it or they don't?
1: Well, I think it's a combination of both. I really do. When I first got to the Clippers, uh, my first year, it was like we all had been together for years. You know, we had a lot of new pieces that year. We had guys like Eric Bledsoe, myself, Matt Barnes, Lamar Odom, Ronnie Torioff. You know, I was just our second unit, and four of those five weren't there the previous year. You know, so half of our team overall were were guys that weren't there the year before, but you could just feel it that we had such a chemistry and such a bond. uh, That was just unbelievable. But then you could be together with a group of guys for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, and the chemistry's not there. It's kind of stale, and... You know, by that point, you guys both know each other, so it's not like it's not like the new kid in school anymore. Or the, you know, that new freshness. So, I think it goes both ways. But what I will say is, chemistry is underrated. You know, if you look at the really good teams in the '80s and, and teams like the Spurs, they stay together for a long time. You know, and they have that chemistry. It, it, they play with, without thought; it's second nature. They know who each other's going to be. Uh, they know how each other's personalities are, and I think that part especially. Uh, goals into winning and building good habits. And, and I think when you have that chemistry, you know, the sky can be the limit for anything. I think you maximize that team's potential. All
0: right. Jamal, we're going to uh, let you go. I Just a few more questions. When you, when you came to Chicago, uh, again, as we mentioned, you're 19 years young. What did you do? I mean, did did you find yourself just playing video games at your place? Where you, Did you just hibernate? Did you get out much? I mean, what, what was Chicago like when you were here coming into the league for your first few seasons?
1: Well, it was really cold, that was for sure. But I had I had a little experience before by going to Michigan. So I knew it was pretty cold, but it was a great city. Like, I loved interacting with people. I loved going downtown. I loved uh, going to Lake Michigan when it was in Lakeshore Drive. When it was warm, especially I was there in the summer sometimes as well, and the spring is unbelievable. It's such a great town. I just loved it. I really did. I loved all the experiences. I never played video games. You know, I stopped playing video games. When I was probably uh, fourteen, fifteen. I think NBA Live '95 was my last video game I actually played. So really, yeah, it was just fun. yeah, it was more hibernating, going down to uh, Dave and Buster's or ESPN Zone, and all those different things, I was just hanging out in the city. I really had a ball there, and I really still miss Chicago. I'm very fond of Chicago. And, like I said, I grew from a boy to a man there, and every time I go back, it, it brings back a good
0: feeling. So, Jamal, here you are. You just signed a contract with the Clippers, and afterwards, I mean, you can go a lot of different directions. Uh, maybe one day the Sonics will return to Seattle uh, as an expansion ball club, and maybe you'll be in line to um, you know work in the front office, maybe coach, broadcast, whatever the case may be. But when your playing days are over, and I know you have a young family, Do you want to stay in the game, and have you thought about post-playing career?
1: Oh, for sure. I definitely want to stay in the game. You know, I think whether, whether it be broadcasting or front office, I think front office is terrific. Like I said, I watch so much basketball. I'll go to L.A. Fitness and not play that particular day and just watch the teams and how things are going. I'm just in love with it, and I think it'll be that way until I'm no longer here. So I'll definitely be around the game. You know, I think I have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experiences, some good, some bad, just to be able to give to younger players coming up. I've pretty much seen it all, you know, when you've been around the game this long. And you're still learning as well, which is really, really cool, you know, and really a, a neat thing about it. It's really nice, and, and, you know, I have no doubt about it I'll be around the game. And I'll still be playing somewhere at a at L.A. fitness or rallies near you once I'm 50, 55 years old.
0: Yeah. You know, Jamal, you've taken care of your body over the years. I mean, it looks like you're still a rookie when I see you play, and you still play with that enthusiasm. When when a rookie enters the locker room, um, whether it's been the Clippers or other clubs you played for, what advice do you give a rookie coming into the NBA?
1: Well, on the court, to be the first one in the gym, the last one to leave, uh, be seen and not heard much. You don't want to come in an uh, NBA locker room with a lot of veterans and be the the, the loud guy there. Be very respectful. Be a sponge. Learn as much as you can. Uh, take care of your body. You know, don't forget what got you here to the NBA, and always keep basketball as your number one focus. You know, as far as you know, a lot of guys, and I don't knock them for it. They get into a lot of other things. You know, no matter what it might be, and that and that's a wonderful thing, as long as you always keep basketball first and, and know you know that you're in this position because of basketball. So I just give them advice, different things, how to be a professional, uh, how to take care of the money. How to save, how to save, save, save. That's so important because the NBA career, I think the average career is four years. You know, you see so many guys come and go. Uh, how to be respectful of everybody, of every coach, of every veteran, of every player, because it's am totally new experience. And, and coming into it, we think it's just about what you do on the court, but it's so much more that goes into being a professional basketball player.
0: Yeah. You know, Joel, yeah. uh, one one final question. When, when you look back at your career, and it's not over, and I know you have dreams and aspirations of, hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. But when when it's, when it's you look back at your career and see what you've accomplished, we talked about the 50-point games. We've talked about the three-time winner of the Sixth Man Award. We're going to talk about one day in discussion for the Hall of Fame. I I mean, what were your expectations when you joined the NBA, and have you exceeded them?
1: You know what? I, I honestly don't know if I had expectations. I'm not sure I could have dream this whole thing up. I wouldn't have known I would have played this long, you know, at this level for so long. I don't know. You know, I really don't know, and, and right now I'm still in the moment, but obviously I'm closer to the end than the beginning. So you start having thoughts, and you start seeing all the great players of your era, whether it be Tim Duncan or Kobe or Kevin Garnett, these guys retiring, Paul Pierce saying he has one more year. That was like my era and my generation. So you know the end is closer than the beginning and you just look back you're like, wow, you know, to, to be able to, to look back and and kind of leave your mark in a league with so many great players, the best players in the world, you know, you kind of look back and and you can kind of smile a little bit like I, I left my mark.
0: Hey, Jamal, this has been great. Uh, We appreciate uh, you joining us today on our uh, Bulls podcast, Time Out Bulls. And you are always a a big favorite here for those uh, employees that were here when you were here. And as you know, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf is very, very loyal. And uh, he loves, um, you know, a number of employees that have been here for many, many years. But they always speak so highly of you, the way you treated them uh as a young player and the respect you showed them so you know what what comes around goes around in a sense this is very very good for you and the rest of the league and i hope young players do follow your path as far as total respect because you know what jamal one day you know what you're not going to be able to put the kicks on and um you know your your legacy is intact it really is
1: yeah thank you so much chuck and you've always treated me Uh, with uh, most respect and always been one of the great guys around the league and and well-respected across the league. So thank you so much.
0: Lexus is a proud partner of the Chicago Bulls. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to see the extensive lineup of all-wheel drive vehicles. Don't let Mother Nature conquer you this winter.